What a week it's been for a member of the 48 goes who joins us <laughs> once a week. And it's been too long. It's been two weeks since I've three weeks now. Yep. Missed the last couple of Tuesdays. So it's lovely to see you again, Carlos Alberto Diego. What a week it's been for you. I'm up and about. It's... Absolutely. Like you said, chest puffed out. Uh, two of my loves last week. Um, Western Bulldogs and also Socceroos. Uh, won games in a way that they don't usually win them. Talk to me about that. Uh, well, I mean, the doggies. Let's talk quickly about the doggies. Of course you should I know talk this about is it. a football hour, but it, it goes hand in hand with what I'm going about to say about the Socceroos. Uh, you know, I've been a doggy supporter for, you know, all my life. Uh, been conscious about that from probably the age of five. And we never win a game mm. like we want, like like the game that we did last Thursday. We just don't win those games, <laughs> yes. right? And uh, last week, what doubled... You know, the, the joy for me last week was the Socceroos, the way they won in the UAE. Uh, we win games, don't get me wrong, we win games in difficult situations, uh, but the professional nature and the way they went about and the way they wore down a very, very good UAE team mm. in their backyard, uh, you know, with uh, their crowd, um, you know, the, the, temp- you know, the heat and the, and the climate and the, and the weather and the humidity and all the rest of it. And apparently the boys, you know, got off a plane, half of them were crook yep. because of the, the, the plane ride from Australia. I mean, it was, and the way, it was a professional nature and the makeup and the blend of that midfield, you know, Luongo, uh, Rogic, uh, Moy, uh, Milligan, uh, these guys are technically very, very strong players who can actually go past opposition with ball at feet. Not just passing, they can yeah. actually dribble past people yep. and create things. Uh, very, very exciting. And for me, uh, you know, just as the doggies have probably gone to another level now with the way they're going to go about it and win those games more often, I think the Socceroos are now really becoming a team that can actually win home and away against anyone or perform that way against anyone in the world. Whether they win or not, it depends, but they, they get, they've got a pattern of play. They go about in the professional nature, and that's what excites me. Has that surprised you how quickly that's come about? Remember we all talked about, oh, we've got to get into Asia. We've got to qualify through Asia. And you know, now we're in Asia. We're, there's big boys here. This is not going to be the cakewalk that it used to be you know, through Oceania and then the fifth or sixth place, you know, the way we used to do it. So there was this, oh, gee, okay, are we ready for this? You know, are we up for it? Well, not only are we up for it, but we're now the dominant we're the dominant nation, you know, in, in the region. Has it surprised you how quickly that's happened? It hasn't happened quickly enough for me. And the reason why is because of the coach. Uh, we had Pim Verbake. Mm. We've had Holger Osik, who clearly didn't really have faith that we could play football against great teams and win. They knew that we had good quality, the golden generation, those sort of players that as individuals, and you just throw them together, the Australian spirit and all that sort of stuff will win your games to yeah, get you a yeah. World Cup. Uh, but the way we're playing right now, the pattern of play, uh, you know, the technical nature, the tactics around it, that is just due to one man. And that's Ange Postacoglu, who had faith before anyone else did. And he's, he still gets a bit testy when people suggest, you know, uh, that, you know, you might be playing above yourself or you're a bit worried about this, a bit worried about it. He's not worried about any of that. <laughs> and he gets more upset with those sort of questions and, that, and the fact that we still cringe about the fact that we could be actually quite good. Yes. You know, you know he, yeah. he gets upset about that sort of stuff. And, uh, and for me, if, we, if Ange was ready at the, you know, at the stage where Pim Verbeek had taken over or we had faith in Ange. Faith that, in him, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what it was. He was yeah. probably ready, but, he, but we probably didn't have faith. Yeah. Uh, but like everything in football, everything's, 
you know, everything that works well with Australian football is always long overdue. We're saying this in the yeah, break. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, FFA yeah. Cup should have happened a few years ago, but it's long overdue and it's working really well. What an empowering, what an empowering thing um, that force and that, that the belief that Ange Postacoglu brought to Australian footballers. No, no, we can play this way. We can play our way out of defence. We can play our way through the midfield. We don't need to stick long balls into the into the penalty area and hope for the best. We can actually play the way they play the best nations on the on the planet play. What an empowering thing that must have been for Australian footballers to actually hear a coach say. Absolutely. And it's but they need to be convinced too. I mean, yeah. they hear that all the time. They grow up with the FFA curriculum, you know, the four three three and the way and the different tactics. There's a lot of talk around, you know, the roles of the different positions and all that sort of stuff. Mm. They grow up. But to compete against, you know, in a World Cup qualifier in difficult circumstances, then go to a World Cup and get out of the group by playing good football and maybe create a bit of damage in the knockout stages, that's something that... We don't grow up, our kids don't grow up in Australia thinking that we can do that. Yeah, yeah. They, they think they can, they can play in the A-League or they can play overseas, you know, as individuals. But us, you know, our kids don't grow up thinking they can win a World Cup. Not like they would in Argentina or Germany or whatever. Uh, and because of that, you almost need, you know, the, uh, I know, the talisman, the, you know, the, the, the grand master to say, listen, come this way, have faith in me. And that's what we're getting now. When you get to players speaking after the game or before the game or in between games, a lot of them talk, uh, talking the Ange Postacoglu talk. Yeah. Uh, and the talk is actually, you know, built on substance of the way they play and the results they're getting. The Asian Cup, for example, mm. what they did against Holland, in you know, for most of the game in the World Cup uh, against Chile and all that. You know, they're starting to build that faith. So I think slowly, slowly, even though it's a bit frustrating for Ange, so everyone's really coming on board now. It's interesting you say that because when you hear Australian players now after wins, and they have a lot of them these days, there's they're not they're not over the top about any of this. Mm. It's it, they they fully expect to get the sort of results that they're churning out. The ones we have at home, which become you know by the full by the end of the ninety minutes, often become pretty dominant these days. And like the one you're talking about last week, you know, in obviously really difficult and oppressive conditions, there's there, there's nothing. It's no surprise element to the players that they're getting these results anymore. Yeah, they fully believe that it's going to happen. Um, you played a, you sent me a bit of um, audio that we, that we might as well lead into now because it is about Ange Postacoglu, and I reckon it. We probably need to, off the back of this bit of audio that I'll let you introduce, but I reckon it'll largely, for a lot of us, might even turn a bit of a light on in terms of the way we look at the coach these days. Or it might think that the guy who said what he's going to be saying, what you're going to hear, is ridiculous in what he's saying because that's something that also came out on social media. It was an interview with Paul O'Connor. Is that right? Yeah, 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 Four Diego's interviewed Paul O'Connor last week. He just got the job at Central Coast Mariners. We were talking about, you know, his journey getting to, you know, the the role of a head coach Mm. in an A-League and uh, and what Ange Postacoglu meant to him and what he thinks about Ange Postacoglu on a world scale. Yeah, well, look, I was lucky. um, The first uh, All-Stars game, that was played in Sydney against Man United. Ange was actually uh, the coach and, 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 and I assisted him. So, you know, I knew him personally uh, and we'd had discussions before, but actually working with him uh, in, in, a, in a coaching environment, um, I was lucky to have that experience and saw then and understood why he is so successful. I believe he could, he could be coaching one of the top sides in the world. I honestly believe that. Um, and, and, and I hope that he does get that opportunity because... 
is uh, for me, uh, and you mentioned before some of the names of coaches that I've played under, uh, he is definitely up there with uh, with some of those uh, big coaches. I was I hadn't heard I missed your show the other night so that was the, you sending that bit of audio through was the first time I'd heard that and it was a bit of a it was a little light bulb moment for me I'd never encouraged myself to think about Postacoglu becoming the manager of a big club I, I just assumed well this is this well, is this is his this is his mother load this gig right now the former coaches he was comparing Ange to Terry Venables who. Uh, you know, is a very well, very successful coach in the UK. Okay, his pieces of life, yep. you know, took him away doing other things. But he was, he, no one ever could doubt, especially a lot of the players who played with him or played for him over the years uh, at all levels, from Barcelona to in England to mm. Australia, they all think he's probably one of the best coaches they've ever had, all these players. Uh, so he's compared Ange to him, Sven Goran Eriksson, when Sven Goran Eriksson uh, was uh, very successful with Lazio. Mm. And you've got to remember, Sven then was a hot property and ended up been the England coaching job and, and he's had jobs ever since irrespective of what you think about this guy from a you know outside of football got himself in a bit of trouble at, uh, and also uh, you know the <laughs> likes of Dino Zoff he played under some good coaches over in Italy too so these are world rated managers and you've got to understand also with someone like a Paul Ocom he comes from that golden generation the golden generation uh, were, were players that really came out of the old NSL. Uh, it was a bit of a, you know, we, we, I love the old NSL. I grew up with it. I watched it all the time. I still think and reflect on it all the time. But it wasn't a, a professional environment as such. Mm. And these players were coming out and going straight into European teams. That's how good these some of these players were, the Vadukas of this world, Ocons, Swartzes, Harry Kills and so forth. And these guys then proceeded to have 15 years. Their career was overseas and everything about their football was Europe and everything was best over there. Nothing was quite as good over here. So for someone like Paul Ocon to turn around and call Ange Postacoglu his mentor, someone who can can coach overseas and hadn't even played overseas but Mm. can coach a big club overseas, that is a huge, huge statement. Uh, Now, there's a lot of people out there who see it and they they believe it. But then you get other people, and of course, when we sent this out on social media, you get all sorts of res- uh, responses, and uh, a couple of people think that that's ridiculous. But why do, they that's... Think, why do they think that's ridiculous? Uh, I, I, you know, who knows? You'd have to ask them, obviously. Look, I, yeah. I hope it's not the, 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 the cringe mm. of Australia perhaps toying with the idea that we could have a world-class something in football. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, we, we sort of toyed with the idea of Harry Kuehl at his best at Leeds United and Mark Viduka at his best, you know, and, and Craig Johnston. We sort of toy with that, but we don't really believe that, you know, that we're they're really up there. And the idea that Ange Postacolo didn't play overseas, he coached, you know, second division in Greece for a year or something, yep, yep. hasn't coached overseas, has learnt nothing really except for his own journeys through, you know, World Cups and meeting people. The thought that, he might be regarded as a coach that can actually coach a big club overseas. It's hard for some Aussie football fans to, you know, you know, digest that. If you are a believer, if you're one of these people who believe that could never happen, that there is this, you're one of these people that Carlos is talking about. We're not going to be, we're not going to be judgy here. I just really like to know why you think that that is completely um, unattainable. What? Why do you think that? Somebody like Ant, what? No, not somebody. Why do you think Ange Postacoglu that that would be a step way too far? Despite what Paul Ocon said, and he knows what it takes to play top league football and be managed in top league, top leagues all over the world. Why do you think that could not 
sit within the realm of Ange Postacoglu. You know, a lot of people want to talk to you, Carlos, about this, the Paul Oak on Ange Postacoglu and then the big picture story about the merits that might sit, you know, before him as being a manager of a big club somewhere around the world. Another Ange is in Paran. Maybe the Ange. Who knows? <laughs> has jumped on the line. Uh, good afternoon to you, mate. G'day, guys. How are you? Yeah, good. Guys, I believe that he can coach. Um, I'm going to be a little bit biased now because he coached, coached my younger brother in, in the old South Melbourne days. And he's just got a great belief in youth and making them believe that they are better than what they are and they can beat anyone. And I think that's very important for any player at any level. Yeah, and he's had that all the time. I, I, I still remember I actually did a coaching course with him when he was coming through uh, almost 20-something years ago. And I remember he always had that. But what he's added now is a real knowledge of the game and how to instruct on tactics and mm. uh, you, know, how, you know how to really uh, combat the opposition by looking at what they do and then imposing what we do and, and, and really uh, giving the team a, a pattern of play and the role within that. So that's, that's a real skill too. You can have that, you know, that encouragement of youth and stuff, but you've got to add the other stuff to be a world-class uh, coach. And that's what I think he's showing right now. John's in, thanks, Ange. John's in Mont Albert. Good afternoon. Yeah, how are you going, Chance? Good, uh, Carlos, what do you reckon? A great old Yorkshire club that's crying out for someone at bloody rescue them. That's Leeds United. <laughs> Dear God. Well, there was talk, John, there was talk about Russell Crowe taking over Leeds United. If you get an Australian influence there, you never know what might happen. But uh, Aaron Moy uh, scored a goal against them on the weekend, uh, so they, they lost the points there. So maybe the timing's right for that. Uh, don't know whether the champ... Look, who knows? Is the championship the right sort of uh, league for Ange Postacoglu? Who knows? We're still a few years away from that. But, uh, but look, I think... I personally believe he is a guy that could go on, you know, whether Leeds is big enough... That we, you know, the, the the sort of team that Paul Ocon's talking about or not, I'm not sure, but uh, but I, I think he certainly will be our first coach to coach in a decent big league in Europe at some stage. It'd be a hell of a challenge. I mean, that that would be former big club, not you know going through a golden era. You've got somebody who's prepared to back it and take it back to where it needs to be. That would be that's one of those sort of clubs, like a bit Nottingham Forest type. Or yeah. It's one of those clubs that you think. Yeah, QPR, like one of those clubs that when we grew up was part of the big. That was part of the big yep. show. The problem is an appeal yeah, or something like that. The problem with an Australian coach going there, if they don't have the full backing yeah. of the blokes with the money mm. uh, through thick and thin, they they are ruthless. Those fans over there. Uh, you know, the fact that an Australian doesn't matter who yeah, it is and what point. he's done to go and take over a club like Leeds. Are you kidding me? Yeah, if he doesn't yeah. win straight away. Uh, you know, he's just the, the whole the whole setup, the administration, the, the coaching stuff, the whole lot will be under pressure straight and away. And you get a billionaire buying a club, they want a big name coaching. With all due respect yeah. to someone like Ange, they they want someone who's going to bring you know the focus yeah. of the world on them. Marco's in Berwick. Uh, good afternoon. G'day, fellas. How you going? Good. There's no reason why Ange can't coach overseas, and it's not a matter of going to England or Italy or somewhere like that. Even if he's coaching a second division club in France or in Germany, that's a great start. And, you know, Eddie Krencevich was the first person that went overseas as a player, and he started it for Australia. And now look where we are. So it only takes one person just to, to open those doors globally for the rest of us in the country and all those aspiring to be coaches. So, And one more thing, Andy. Yes, mate. 
Yeah. I'm wondering why you needed to go down the negative line of, and getting callers to come in that wanted to know why we can't make it. I, I, I think as as Australian footballers we're, and supporters, we're past that sort of negativity stage of things like that, don't you think? I'm not sure what I... I no, no, you, you called for callers who, who didn't believe that Ange oh, could get... Yeah, because, yeah. because I think most of us believe that people who um, have had something to do with him, Mark Owen, have followed him through his A-League and now the... And even when he was a you know, junior coach in Australian football and have ascended to um, the position he's in now and we've seen what he's done with the Socceroos, I think most of us, or a lot of us, do believe that uh, he could quite easily go and coach a big club overseas. But um, Carlos was talking about the reaction he got to yep. putting that clip out after the show and a lot of people were saying that he can't do it. You're joking. I wanted to know why people thought that because I don't think that and Carlos doesn't think that and you don't yep. think that. And I think the majority of people don't think that. And uh, I, that's what yeah. I wanted to know. I was just interested yeah. that we still had a few that came in and did that. By the way, for people out there, Edge has coached overseas, uh, second or third yep. division in Greece. It, you know, it was a... Sort of a, a, an up and down time. It was, I think, is at a time when uh, there wasn't many opportunities in Australia anyway. So it was a great experience for him, and I think that's just added to the coach he is today. Hey, let's not let's not mm. kid ourselves. It took Australian football a long time yeah. to have faith in an Australian coach. Absolutely, uh, there are a lot of people in within the game that you know far mm. better than me, Carlos, who are agitating against Postacoglu's appointment. Some big, big names, powerful figures in Australian football thought that. The Postacoglu appointment of the Socceroos job was not the right appointment. And yep. he's hopefully proven every single one of them wrong. And hopefully at some stage they're big enough to say, you know, I got it wrong. And you know? the other thing here too, Andy, is that when Ange goes, and I don't believe he's one of these guys going to stay in the job for a long time, he's a guy who will move on to the next thing, mm. uh, maybe after the next World Cup. Uh, we now have uh, a yardstick for what to expect from the national team, the behaviours of a national coach, Spot on. how he goes about preparing the team, the way the team plays. There's no more of the Pim Verbake, uh, you know, I know we got a sore World Cup and there's supporters for him out there, but the way we played in away games in Asia, even at home at times, Holger Ossik towards the end, I mean, Holger was good in the, first, in the 2011 Asian Cup, but uh, it started really falling away after that. Um, you know, we now have a yardstick, and whatever comes next, that's what they'll be measured against. Carlos Alberto Diego uh, in the studio talking soccer. Oh, sorry, football. I'm flipping it's out okay, mate. No, no, it's I okay. don't want to offend anyone. Doesn't da- matter. Daniel's in Lara and wants to continue having a chat about about Ange Postacoglu in light of what Paul Oakland said to you and the Diegos the other night. G'day, mate. How's it going, boys? Good, Good mate. Just a quick one. I don't believe that a person like Ange Postacoglu can make it overseas. And the reason behind all that is a player, uh, as a coach, you need to be a superstar as a player. That's one thing. You've got to win the respect of the players with your first appearance. And I'll give you a good example. Slaven Bilic for Croatia. He made himself a name as a player at the World Cup 98. And then all of a sudden took over the Croatia national team with only having maybe... Five games experience with Hadel Split, where Josip Stoko played, and then all of a sudden, um, having developed players inside the Croatian national team like Modric, Radicic, uh, Mandzukic, and all that, and then all of a sudden, as he made himself a name as a coach, he gets handed over West Ham. Yeah, but I, I would think, uh, Daniel, is, I mean, for every one of those, you can come up with an argument against that too. Jose Mourinho, he'll, he, you know, he, he talks about him being a bad player, not doing very much in his career as a footballer. Uh, was an interpreter for Bobby Robson at, at Barcelona, ended up being probably one of the best 
coaches in the history of the game. Mm. Uh, Arsene Wenger's another one, never played at a really high level. Uh, even uh, someone like uh, Alex Ferguson you know, was a good Scottish professional, but never really reached the huge heights of the Kenny Dalgleish's of this world or the, or the great Scottish players, the Jimmy Johnstons and all these sort of guys. Uh, there's plenty of really, I mean, in the, in the top 20 of all time, plenty of them in there that weren't great footballers. And did most of those guys who have stuck around for the length of time that a lot of the managers you just talked about have, did they have early success? Did, wherever they, they had to. They, yeah, they did. They had yeah. to have early success because... Like Daniel said, what he's right about is winning that change room over these professional footballers just waiting for you. If you've got a no name, yeah. well, listen, you're going to have to prove it to me. And that's what they these guys do. They have to win from the start, basically. Yep, yep. It wouldn't be a Tuesday afternoon without <laughs> talking to you, without talking to you, without getting a phone call from Scotty out in Craigie <laughs> who won't mention Aaron Moy's name, I'm certain of it. Uh, good afternoon to you, Coco. Afternoon, uh, Nemesis. Afternoon, Bubble Boy. <laughs> Hello, mate. Um, <laughs> Uh, what I was ringing about, finally, 36 hours after the fact, the game that everyone wanted to watch on the weekend, sat home in front of me TV, put on 5.17 on the dial on Foxtel, put me feet up, started watching the game. The wife came out of the bathroom, started screaming at me, and asked, you, asked me why I'm 10 foot from the TV and I've got a set of binoculars in my hand watching the game. <laughs> um, then they show the uh, side vision of the new main stand. It goes up. And I can actually see Sherpas going up and down the stands with oxygen bottles. Yes, okay. <laughs> Just to help out the patrons on the top row and the camera crew. It was unbelievable. You're talking about Anfield. Of course, mate. You are. <laughs> you didn't like it. Scott. No, I didn't like the camera view, mate. But, yeah, um, at least FSG hired the Sherpas to help out the camera crew and that with the oxygen models, mate. Everyone's but, raving about that new stand at Liverpool. The players played for the stand on the weekend, winning 4-1 <laughs> against Leicester. They did it for the stand. Uh, and now even Klopp's saying, please don't sing my name during games. You're, you're, you're ruining it all for us. So he's actually telling the cop not to sing his name. So uh, you know what I love about, you know, we grew up with the European Knights of Anfield and, mm. and Liverpool of the 80s and some of those beautiful results. Even if you weren't a Liverpool supporter, just watching them play in the 70s and 80s. Uh, and that's what I felt like in that game on the weekend. They're, they're nowhere near, don't get me wrong, they're nowhere near the boot room era what we've got at the moment. But I got a sense of doing it for the greater good I, I on the feel weekend. That. I yeah. felt that. I feel yeah. like there's something in the middle of the, there's a There's a nucleus in the middle of this group, and maybe it comes from the manager. I don't know, yeah. but it feels like there's something there. And you might talk about camera. There's nothing wrong with the camera angle behind Adam Lallana's strike. Oh, I know that, that the camera <laughs> angle of that, no matter which one you saw, yeah. looked very, very nice. Just on the EPL, and look, we haven't got to yeah. um, the Simon Taylor, stu- the Chris Taylor stuff at all. We'll do that next week. Uh, have we got normal programming resumed in the EPL? Are we just the Leicester, the Leicester experiments are over. I told you. Yeah. I told, we're going to get the six clubs. Uh, the yes. top six are the six big clubs. Yep. And uh, and you, you've got some order already between Jose and So have you, got, have you got Arsenal outside the top six? They're not one of the top six clubs? No, no. I said that Arsenal finish in the top four this right, year. So you've got Everton will slide yeah, out. Yeah, yep. Liverpool won't make the top four, I don't believe. It'll be Manchester City, Chelsea. Say that. Uh, maybe Man U in there. Uh you know, because it's Jose Mourinho yep. and Slatan Ibrahimovic, uh, and I think uh, Arsenal, and then there'll be Liverpool, and who's, who have missed out? Tottenham. Yep. That'll be it. How are you how are you feeling about West Ham? Uh, mate, they I think they had their big year last year. They've moved to the the big the big new stadium, and uh, you know, getting beaten four two at home after leading two nil. Uh, please, are all of those bubbles bursting? Yeah, now, absolutely. Mate? Are all yeah. of those bubbles they've got, bursting? They've got ahead of themselves. Oh, no. Payette got oh, with the Rabona, no. those sort of tricks and. 
please, just keep it to basic football. 